Good morning, Grace family, and a very Merry Christmas to all of you. At least when you see this, Christmas will have passed. That's how we are with Zoom in this COVID season now. But uh, my name is Greg Bartelson, and I've been asked to share a message with you this morning, and I am grateful to do so, to share what God uh, has to say through His Word. I hope that you're blessed and I'm blessed as a result of this time we have together. When I was uh, an EMT back in college, I did that for a little bit of time, uh, I was expected to wear a particular uniform that identified me as a first responder, as a technician to my patients and to other healthcare workers. What I wore communicated particular skill sets that I was expected to have and demonstrate in my job. Folks around me uh, knew what my expected role was as a first responder, caring for others, and that I had particular authority that allowed me access to certain places that others didn't. How I dressed really identified uh, for everyone around me who I was, what I was expected to do, and how to behave. But from looking at my uniform, no one expected me to be one to go put out a forest fire. No one expected me to be able to fix their blown head gasket in their car, and certainly didn't expect me, just from looking at me, as one who would defend our country from all enemies, foreign and domestic, while flying an F-16. Just what I wore in my uniform just didn't communicate that, didn't represent that at all. My clothing symbolized what I was to be, a health caregiver. And in sports, you might remember how wearing that unique jersey uh, identified you as a particular member of that team. And not only that, it was meant to encourage team spirit and unity. You remember that? Well, would you believe that all Christians have an appropriate uniform or certain clothes to wear as well? These are new clothes that were given to us when we came to Christ and the ones that we are expected to put on regularly so as to uh, both associate us with and unify us as people of God, children of God, the church. Now, I don't want you to stress, uh, Grace Seal Beach is not putting out a new line, a fashion line that we all need to wear in order to attend this church. But I'm obviously using clothes as a metaphor, a metaphor for our lifestyle, how we ought to live with one another as believers. And like that uniform, how we live and respond to one another is critical for demonstrating and showing the world around us that we are people who honor God, who love Him, we love our neighbors, and that we desire unity as a body. The vital question for us this morning then is, how should we live with one another as new persons in Christ? And the Apostle Paul answers that question as he addressed the believers the church at Ephesus. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And as you're doing that, I'd like to give you a little bit of background, uh, context, so you can appreciate where this passage is couched. Paul has just finished reminding the Ephesians that their new lifestyle was to be diametrically opposed, complete opposite to the Gentiles that lived around them or unbelievers as they formerly were and as we formerly were. They were exhorted not to walk or to live uh, a life that mimicked who they were before. And why is that? 
because at their conversion, Christ had taken off their old self, the sinful self, and, and laid it down, put it aside as if they were old, crumpled up, worthless clothes. And instead, what Christ did is he gave them a new person, a new set of clothes to wear, clothes of righteousness. They're the same clothes that we are to choose to wear each day to represent that we are as believers of Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you recall, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's pertinent to our, our, our look at uh, Ephesians today. So we're going to look at practical ways in which we as new creations, new people, ought to live with one another as our brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's pick it up in Ephesians 4, starting verse 25, and I'll also be reading verses 29 and 30 as they go together. Paul here says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what do we read here? Paul is telling us that we should speak to one another with words of truth that build us up and not tear down. You know, truthful speech encourages our growth, doesn't it? While hurtful ones of our former lifestyle tear us down. I'm just thinking of 2020, this troubling year, has seen, among other things, a, a global pandemic, racial uh, injustice and unrest, and a presidential election cycle that has done more to divide rather than unite this nation. But how we've communicated to others in response to these things has been quite telling of the type of clothes that we choose to wear each day. And one place where I think our speech with one another has been uh, uniquely challenged lately is on social media. I've fallen myself at times to the temptation to prove myself right or to win an argument over things that I hold dear or have strong convictions over, whether they be political, sociological, or even theological. And I haven't done the best of jobs in that area. Some have actually done so at any cost to win an argument. Now, our online presence has certainly modeled how Christians are to respond. There have been wonderful examples of how we can communicate with words of truth, hope, and love to many of us as we're trying to just get through this year. But I think we have to admit that unfortunately, some, even in the Christian community, have responded to those they disagree with or are upset through hurtful, untruthful rhetoric tweeted and posted left and right. I'm thinking this sure can't be good for ourselves or for our witness online. Paul, who never had a Facebook or Instagram or Twitter account, would nevertheless tell us this ought not be the way we should behave as children of God. Let me read to you Colossians 4.6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Paul even says in verse 30 that this false and destructive speech actually grieves the Holy Spirit 
who has sealed you and I in our salvation and who calls us his own and will do so until we're perfected in Christ. Why would we want to grieve the Holy Spirit with our speech? But you know, living with one another is a lot of hard, it's, it's, it's hard work, isn't it? Uh, I know as in a family, we're not perfect. We get on each other's nerves. We, we sin. We make mistakes. We need a lot of grace. But divisive, caustic words, well, they just don't help anyone. And in verse 25, you see there, Paul says that we are vitally connected as a living body. He says we are members one of another. Just as the heart cannot function fully without a pancreas or a brain or a spleen, in the same way, lies and destructive speech to one member affects our entire body. Pretty much like when we allow the cancer of false and hurtful words to spread. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I think of it this way. It's like a 14-year-old seeking treatment and help from their trusted family doctor. She goes in, and all she gets is ridicule, being screamed at and embarrassed for her not flossing or over her risky behaviors or lousy hygiene practices. How does that help her? Their behavior, the doctor's behavior, betrays who they're actually called to be. Passionate, a good listener, and willing to help and heal if possible. Likewise, we are to speak to one another as people who are children dressed by the great physician, the God of all truth, and not by our enemy, the great deceiver. The church is like a hospital. We all need one another. We need God and his word to help us. Let's encourage one another with good words. We should speak to one another with words of truth that build us up rather than tear down. Now, sadly, there will be times when we will sin against our fellow brothers and sisters through our speech. Or if it's hurt-filled or or hate-filled, and it angers us, it saddens us, but we also get angry by it. How should a believer respond during those times? Let's read chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What do you think Paul is challenging us with here? He says we should control our anger with one another so that it doesn't cause us to sin. You know, we ought to be angry over the things that anger God, rightfully so, but to deal with it before the devil uses it against us. 2020 has certainly had its share of reasons for us to be angry, a lot of things, and again, rightfully so. But have we always angered well? That's the question. And man, I know for myself, when I've been wronged, and by angered by even brothers and sisters, not just anyone outside the church, how quickly I can default in response to how I was as an unbeliever with malice, angry words to get back at them. But please notice that in verse 26, what does he say, Paul? He says, be angry and do not sin. There are two imperatives there. Paul doesn't prohibit anger. He does, however, prohibit our sinful response and our expression to it. 
And not letting the sun set on it is just another way of saying, guys, let's deal with it as soon as we can. Drop everything until you've reached out to that person who's angered you. And do your part to seek reconciliation with him or her, to resolve that issue or, you prob- or your problem with them. Because if we don't, because if we don't instead resort to impulse, Im- impulsive, vengeful words and actions, like we did when we were unbelievers, the clothes of those who do not know God, well, what would happen? encourage you to look back on verse 27 and give no opportunity to the devil Paul is saying so many words that the devil will win a point over you personally he scores a point over our unity as a body and he scores a point on our witness to a watching world when we resort to dealing with our sin or anger in a sinful way that's what giving an opportunity to the devil means. And I'm thinking when the, poor, when, when the world sees the poor examples of how we handle our anger with one another, will they want what we have? Is that desirable? Like destructive speech, our mishandled anger will turn them away as quick as a shark clears the water of swimmers. It, it is unattractive. Allowing our anger to simmer and fester, I kind of like to use a metaphor, is is like refusing to change the oil or replace the rotors on your car when you know you have to. If you don't deal with the problem quickly, and I know some of you guys out there are probably thinking, yeah, I've been there. When you don't deal with the problem quickly, eventually disaster's going to strike, right? Just recently, I was driving uh, my brother's truck on a visit to see him in Texas, and I was with my family. And we were on the fast lane, turning from a trip to San Antonio. And all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, the motor just shuts down. Just cold. No power. Nothing. I couldn't accelerate. I couldn't do anything. Texans were flying past me at 70 mile an hour. It was pretty scary. No power. It just cut out. But it turns out that I was able to pull over to the side, thanks to God, uh, at the last second. And after getting some roadside service, you know what happened? We found out that there was not a single drop of oil in the motor. Bone dry. Absolutely nothing. I talked to my brother afterwards and he says, you know what, I was meaning to get to that when that light came on. I just got so busy. I put it off and I put it off. (laughs) Well, I was told that we averted disaster that night. The truck is fine, by the way, believe it or not, but I gotta tell you one thing, my brother, he's never gonna hold down a job at Jiffy Lube, I'm telling you that much. But in all seriousness, the same is true if we let anger fester and simmer within us, doesn't it? We can end up doing damage, not only to our hearts individually, but to our body. Now, I'm sure some of you may be thinking, but Greg, anger is never justified. I don't know where you're coming at with telling us that we can be angry. Uh, It's a symptom of sin, and we should be never encouraged to to actually practice that, right? Well, I understand that, but anger is not always wrong, right? Consider God himself. He was provoked to anger when he responded to the wrongs of the money changers in the temple who were defiling that place of worship of the people. He actually made a scourge of whips to run them out. And consider David, King David, man after God's own heart, 
he got angry. He was angry with the sin and the people that committed these atrocities to him for no good reason. We're talking about anger over wrongs and injustices. It's anger over sin. And we ought to be angry in those cases. But David and God responded with control over that anger. We oftentimes do not. So it's okay to be angry when it's right, but just deal with it without sinning. Now, speech and anger are not the only areas of conduct that pose challenges to us as we relate to one another. It's also in the area of money, specifically how we earn it and what we do with it. And Paul addresses that as well. So let's return to the text and read verse 28. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's his challenge to us here? That we should earn our money honestly for the benefit of others and not just ourselves. Let's stop cheating our employers and employees for our own self-indulgence, but rather work hard so that we might be a blessing to those in the body that have need. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, back up here. Paul is having to talk to believers in the church not to steal? Christians steal? Well, it's something that happens all the time. And look, there's no doubt that there are acceptable forms of stealing today, just as there were in the ancient world of Paul's day. Can you maybe think of any? I mean, I have a short list here. How about embezzling through unauthorized use of the company credit card? Illegal downloading, stealing supplies from employers. How about exploiting our employees with stingy wages and wasting the employer's time so that we can, dare I say, Christmas shop? Look, these are all considered normal by many in today's society, but many Christians are guilty of them as well. But is this the way of the new life? Are these the clothes that we should be putting on? Paul would say, no. No, they're not. Look, work has always been an opportunity for us to give glory to God, right? And so you and I are to make our income through hard work, ourselves, and not through theft. It's what Paul calls here honest and useful work, not for selfish gain, but for blessing others in the faith who have need which brings us to our use of money. Are we working for the purposes of making money for more money? More money to acquire more stuff? You know, Paul would say that this is useless gain. Saving up for offerings to the church body? Yes. But how about me helping out a missionary who needs that car for transportation or maybe temporary housing? Could it be that maybe I can help a family in the church who's struggling financially? Or support an unwed mom needing an ultrasound before she makes that life-changing decision? You see, these are actions of a person clothed in the robes as a child of God, not of the world. It's behavior that builds up our faith as we share out of our abundance. But also, as John 13, 35 reminds us, listen to this, it communicates to the world 
our love for God, but also our love for one another as disciples of Christ. And you know, the wrong approach to money, again, I liken it to this. Let's say I'm volunteering to deliver uh, a number of in-and-out meals to a family that's really going through rough times in the church, and they'd like a little help. So I volunteer to do that. I'm told that there's more than enough for me to grab a bite along the way on the, ro- on the ride as a snack. But by the time I arrive, I've actually handed to this poor family a few pickles and a measly handful of fries that, you know, cling to the bottom of those bags. That's messed up. I've had everything I needed. A little snack, sure, but I end up eating the whole thing. The same is true, however, when we take more than we need and fail to help our brothers and sisters in Christ as those needs arise. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, but Greg, look, I have earned, you used to say I've earned every penny, I've earned every dollar that I've worked hard for. And so I'm entitled to keep it, you know, um, and I can use it forever I want. It's the American way. <laughs> and, you know, I have to say yes, legally, it's true. And according to an unbelieving world, very true. But we are Christians. We are Christians. And our perspective on finances should be different. Just because something sounds nice doesn't make it true. And what is ultimately true is that all the money that we do work and make is actually God's. And he provides for our very needs every time, doesn't he? And so as his stewards, we should use it for his purposes and not ours. Let's work honestly so we may bless others in the family of God. Now, wouldn't you think at this point it would be nice if Paul would just kind of summarize all this in one nice expression, one exhortation, how do we live with one another? He actually does. He does so in the last two verses. Let's check these out. Verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. What's his last challenge? It's a good one. We should treat one another with grace as Christ has demonstrated to us. Again, we should treat one another with grace as Christ has demonstrated to us. As Christians, Paul encourages us, exhorts us to lay aside, put away the clothes of maliciousness, all of the negativity and the things that we say and do, and to put on daily the clothes of grace. We are to be people of grace who are kind, tender, and forgiving. Now, if you look in your Bibles, your version and mine might say forgave. And forgave is a legitimate use here, but gracious is the more common usage for the original uh, word in Greek here. And I think it better fits the context of Paul's instruction. You notice he's been talking about grace. And as one commentary I read put it, graciousness is the antithesis of bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and abusive speech. In other words, it goes on, bitterness is counteracted by a gracious attitude. Anger and wrath 
are counteracted by a gracious disposition. The shouting and abuse of speech are counteracted by gracious speaking. I would only add to it and say stingy giving and trying to earn money for oneself and not others, well, that's counteracted by a gracious giver, one who knows how much they have in abundance. Now, although Paul's words were addressed to you and I and his audience were believers, there's no doubt that we ought to be gracious to our unsaved neighbors and friends as well, wouldn't you say? Love thy neighbor. I believe that God has designed us for relationship of the gracious kind. And in this season of lockdowns and quarantines, I can't help but think of how many people are alone. They feel alone. So many are desperately seeking relationship and genuine expressions of love in order to fill that need. And think of my students that I teach that are confined at home, gazing through a screen, desiring so much to be back in class with their teachers, to be with their friends socially, to get that attention, that relationship. Man, I think of the many elderly and the convalescent right now who are bereft of, of their, their, wife, their spouse. Maybe some of them, are, they can't see their grandchildren. Talk about being alone and desiring that contact. I know it's a challenge. I know that, but I believe God's word exhorts us as a church to be unified in taking advantage of any and all opportunities to be people of grace, to show grace to our unsaved neighbors and friends, even if it's in the smallest of ways. I have to share something here. Uh, A few months back, my son Noah, some of you know him, he's like 6'2 and and, and growing. He's just a a bean bean pole. one time he was on a hike with his nature friends in a homeschool group that we have. And he was walking along the trail, and there's about maybe six or seven of these teenagers, and along comes this little older lady, and she stops dead in their tracks, just right in front of them. She's coming in the opposite way. And she's looking at them, and you know how teenagers can be, they're like looking around like, okay, what's going on? And she's just looking at them, and then eyes, puts her eyes on Noah and just looks up, up, and up, and smiles and says, young man, how tall are you? Noah, smiling, just says, I think I'm about 6'2". And she says, that's about right. That's about how tall my husband was, who passed away this year. And she looked up and says, is it okay if I get a hug from you? I just need a hug from a tall person. And Noah just smiles and says, sure. Mind you, this is COVID season. She should keep her distance. Social distancing. Talk about a fail in that area. She just wrapped her arms around him. And she hugged her back. He hugged her back. And that's all she needed. And they walked off. Why do I bring that up? It's just evidence that so many people are, need that contact. Are desiring for love and uh, attention. And just to be with others. Now, skeptical, you may be asking me, Greg, why should we be a people of grace to those who are undeserving of it? I mean, I can understand those that uh, might be undeserving, continue to sin against me, but why should I be a person of grace to them? Give me a rationale. 
And I would say, well, aside from it, grace being an attractive alternative to just being a jerk, <laughs> I would say consider Paul's last words in our passage. What does he say at the very end? As God in Christ forgave you. Because in the same way, God has been gracious towards us in Christ. We are to live this way because our very Father himself acted this way towards us through his Son, Jesus. He poured out grace and mercy and forgiveness to a people who did not deserve it. That's you and I. The Father's behavior is both an illustration and an example for us to follow, isn't it? You look at the very next verse, chapter 5. Paul tells us, become imitators of God. Now, others of you might still be thinking, but Greg, I, you know, I happen to know some Christians who hardly act gracefully, as Paul suggests here. In fact, you might say, I often struggle to behave this way myself. How is this even attainable? And I'd say, that's a fair question. To which I have to reply, we don't. We don't always live up to these expected behaviors and attitudes, do we? I know I don't. We're not perfect. But we are growing and progressing, I hope, all at different paces, fits and starts. We're growing towards a maturity in Christ. And that's why we need to read Paul's words to us all the time. That's why we need grace, God's grace, as we struggle to be people of grace ourselves. And that's why you and I need to daily lean into the Holy Spirit and ask Him for Him to empower us with His help. Because to put these clothes on that we've been given, they're ours, takes a lot of effort, but it shouldn't be ours. The Holy Spirit can help us do that. We should treat one another with grace as Christ has demonstrated to us. And I know our time is short together, so let me just finish this by saying, it is good. It is good to be known as children of God. Amen? It is sweet. <laughs> and if there's any of us here, any of you there that do not have that newness of life, who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I'm telling you right now, He is here for you. It's great news. He's inviting you right now, today, to come to Him and surrender yourself as you are to His grace and to his forgiveness. He won't turn you away. And he alone is able to take off those old clothes that you're wearing. You know, the ones that keep you in your sin. The ones that keep you from understanding who God truly is and how much he loves you. Give him your old clothes and Jesus will give you his to wear instead. I'm telling you, it'll be the best wardrobe makeover that you could ever invest in. My friends, how should we live with one another as new persons in Christ? Well, it's certainly not as we formerly did, apart from God, but speaking truth in love, controlling our anger with one another, working our jobs and biz businesses honestly to share with those in need, and favoring grace over malice in all our conduct. We are new creations. All things have been made new, including the clothes that we ought to put on each day, identifying us as children of God. Let's wear the clothes that represent who we are 
not who we were. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's wonderful to be here, to read your word, and to understand that you have created us anew through your Son, Jesus. We thank you for these clothes that, that we can wear that demonstrate to the world around us that we are a people who love you, who love our neighbors. We are people who want to glorify you. We want to unify one another as a body in Christ. We want to communicate to the world that there is hope. We want to communicate to the world that only in Christ is there salvation. But we do that by how we work together as a family, Lord. And we thank you for our family. And we ask that you would help us to put those clothes on, the clothes of righteousness, and not each day to choose the clothes of our former selves. Help us to be kind, and above all, to be gracious to those we come in contact with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.